And it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there. Then I looked, and there was a likeness, like the appearance of fire, and the appearance of his waist and downward fire, and from his waist and upward like the appearance of brightness, like the color of amber. He stretched out the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my hair, and the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven, and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the north gate of the inner court, where the seed of the image of jealousy was, which provoked to jealousy. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the plain. Then he said to me, Son of man, lift your eyes now toward the north. So I lifted my eyes to the north, and there north of the altar gate was this image of jealousy in the entrance. Furthermore, he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel commits here, to make me go far away from my sanctuary. Now turn again, you will see greater abominations. So he brought me to the door of the court, and when I looked, there was a hole in the wall. And he said to me, Son of man, dig into the wall. And when I dug into the wall, there was a door. And he said to me, Go in and see the wicked abominations which they are doing there. So I went in and saw, and there, every sort of creeping thing, abominable beasts, and all the idols of the house of Israel, portrayed all around on the walls. And there stood before them seventy men of the elders of the house of Israel. And in their midst stood Jazaniah, the son of Shaphan. Each man had a censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the room of his idols. For they say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. And he said to me, Turn again, and you will see greater abominations that they are doing. So he brought me to the door of the north gate of the Lord's house. And to my dismay, women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz. And he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Turn again, and you will see greater abominations than these. So he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. And there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar were about 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. And they were worshiping the sun toward the east. And he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Is it a trivial thing to the house of Judah to commit the abominations which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence. Then they returned to provoke me to anger. And then they put the branch of my nose... Therefore I also will act in fury, my eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Fathers, we have heard these words on this day. And we pray through the work of your Holy Spirit, you will apply them under our hearts. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Like I said, I... Uh, Inadvertently, I guess, uh, put the wrong uh, announcement in the bulletin. Um, but uh, one of the things we're going to do over the next several weeks is we're going to talk about improving our baptism. Now, it may be kind of a strange phrase. Again, how do we improve on something that happened to most of us a long time ago? 
How do we improve on uh, the act of the church of the laying of water upon a person? You know, how do we think about improvement at all? Again, can you improve on the work of God? Well, we need to, of course, kind of define things when we begin to talk about stuff that, that, that may seem strange. Again, what improving our baptism means is that what we are called to do in the Christian life is to grow in our understanding of who we are in Jesus Christ. And you know, this, this, this word, improved uh, our baptism, is something that we uh, get out of our, uh, the standards of our church. You know, we have you know, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and the Westminster Larger Catechism. And again, catechisms uh, were a way in the past that people uh, were taught. You know, there would be a question and an answer. And each question and answer would build upon the one before it. You know, it was just a kind of a way of learning. And question 167 of our Larger Catechism talks about this act of improving our baptism and why it's a necessary thing in the life of a believer. And again, we understand that improving our baptism is not saying that our baptism was somehow defective and it needs fixed, but understanding that improving our baptism means uh, taking stock of where we are in our Christian life and understanding where we need to go in the Christian life. It's one of the reasons why the Bible, when it talks about the life that we are to lead, it talks about us growing in likeness to Jesus Christ. And when it talks about it, it doesn't mean that we are working our way to become like God, as if we could become God. But what it means is, is that we, who have been saved by the blood of the Lamb, have been called to grow Uh, into a greater appreciation and a greater uh, obedience to the Word that God has given to us. And so this morning, I've chosen Ezekiel chapter 8 to bring us back to the beginning, as it were. to, to to, To move us to think a little bit about what we have been saved from. The reality of uh, not only the world around us, but the reality of who we were before our baptism, before uh, we uh, were made new creatures in Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting as we come, and again I didn't plan it this way, but it's, it's interesting as we come to this passage uh, that the events that Ezekiel are describing that happened in the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, just happened to be in the uh, Israelite calendar the beginning of the month of September. It's it's funny how God's providence works sometimes, but what we see going on here is that in the time of Ezekiel, the people of God have been taken into exile in Babylon. And there are some who have remained back in the land. That's the way the Babylonians did things as a, uh, as a conquering nation. And Ezekiel is in Babylon. And what we see going on here is God you know, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that's who's described here as 
picking Ezekiel up by the lock of his hair and taking him to the temple that he might see these things. We see Ezekiel being brought and letting him know what's going on in the land of God. And God here is telling Ezekiel, this is why you have been brought into exile. This is why these things are happening to you. Because uh, these people who have been called out of the nations of the world are acting in ways uh, that are almost beyond description. And it's interesting as Ezekiel goes, uh, or as the Lord reveals these things to Ezekiel, as he goes from one abomination to a greater abomination to an even greater abomination, it's interesting how it closes with uh, these men who are doing what? They have their back to the temple. And, And what are they doing? They have their back to the temple of the Lord, they are looking to the east. And they are worshiping the sun. And we heard about men who were in the temple worshiping idols. We heard of women who were uh, weeping for Tammuz. And and we'll get into who Tammuz is in a second. But the worst thing uh, that the Lord here has in mind uh, for these great abominations is uh, this physical act of having your back to the temple. And worshiping the sun. Now, why is it that this is the worst thing that the Lord can imagine? Because again, think about the the, the scene here. Again, the physical action. Again, they have turned their back on the temple. And in the Old Covenant, what did the temple represent? Again, who lived in the temple? Jehovah God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. Again, it was His house. Of course, we understand that, that God didn't physically live in the temple, you know, as if God has any physical uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, kind of, uh, attributes in that way, or that God needed a house to live in. But that's where His presence was. That's where He had uh, designed it to be in the Old Covenant. And so these people have turned their back on the Lord. And when we think about, again, the nature of sin and the nature of of transgressions against God's holy law, it's kind of a perfect image. Because what we do when we sin is turn our back on the Lord. Right? We are turning our back on the presence of God, the holiness of God, the goodness of God, and we are giving it to someone else. Now, in, in this passage, it just happens to be the Son. And one of the reasons for that is, is that you know, traditionally in most cultures, the sun god was the, the chief of the kind of house of gods. And that's one of the things that separated Israel from the nations, is the nations had many gods and Israel had one god. And, and so these people are said to be having their back to the temple and facing the sun, worshiping uh, the sun. And so brothers and sisters, as we kind of look some more at this passage, again, we need to begin at that point. Again, understanding of where we were in our sin. Understanding where we were before the Lord our God called us out of darkness and showed us the light of His truth. Now, I know for many of you, you were baptized when uh, you were infants. And of course, we believe that that is a biblical and a right act. 
And so it's important for us, again, when we talk about improving our baptism, to think a little bit about what baptism is. When we think of what baptism is, and we're reading the book of Ezekiel, where do we get baptism from? And we understand baptism to be the continuation of the Old Covenant ritual of circumcision. Just as in the Old Covenant, uh, on the eighth day after the the, the son was born, uh, he was circumcised. That was the command of God. And what was the point of the circumcision? The point of the circumcision was that there was a physical statement that that child belonged to the Lord our God. And not just that he belonged to the Lord our God, but that he was an heir to the promises made to Abraham. That the sign of the Lord was upon that child. Now in the New Covenant... You know, the, 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 act, the physical act of circumcision has been replaced by the laying on of water. You know, the, 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 the thing signified hasn't changed at all in the Old and the New Covenant. Again, they represent the same thing. The, the means by which that sign is applied, of course, has changed. Again, we don't circumcise our boys uh, in the New Covenant because of God's promise. Again, there's, there's many other reasons why you may want to have that done, but that's, that's not what it represents today. And of course, in the New Covenant, you know, what else do we get to do? In the New Covenant, you know, little girls get to have the sign of the covenant placed on them. And it's not just for the male children, but all children who are born to believing parents are given this sign Uh, Again, of the Lord's ownership in in a real sense, as well as the receiving of the promises that were made to Abraham. that, that, That God is our God and that we are His people. And that we have received the promise made to Abraham that out of us would come many nations. And again, the promise that was made to Abraham is grounded not in who Abraham is, but because of who God is. That's one of the things that's important always to remember about the Abrahamic story that we get there beginning in Genesis 12. Is that it immediately follows the story of the Tower of Babel. Again, remember in the Tower of Babel, the people are trying to get to God. They're building this big tower in order to get into the heavens. But in Genesis 12, we see God do what? We see God come out of the heavens to Abraham. And he comes to Abram and he tells Abram, I will be your God and you will be mine. And again, that's the statement of baptism. Again, it's the, the, the idea there that we belong to the Lord. And again, we place that, uh, that, 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 that sign on our children because we are remembering that they are holy because again, they belong to the Lord. They are born that way. Again, the, the act of baptism itself doesn't create uh, that ownership in them. And again, it's a way that God has given to us to have a visual representation of that. Much in the same way that, that the Lord's Supper is a visual representation of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Again, when we take the bread and drink the cup, again, we're not just kind of doing it because we're supposed to. But because we believe uh, that it is a way in God's, uh, God's purposes to receive His grace. Again, we, we grow through the act of the taking of the bread and of the cup. 
And so when we think again about this act of baptism and what baptism represents, of course we also understand that not just children uh, can have uh, the, 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 the baptism placed on them. You know, we believe in believer's baptism. Right? We believe uh, that if adults and when adults come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and they have not previously received that sign, you know, we baptize adults for the same reason that we baptize children. as a sign of their belonging to the kingdom of God. That they, again, have received this promise. And again, remember something about the whole story that we're reading here in Ezekiel chapter 8. Again, remember who's involved in this wickedness. Who is it that Ezekiel is being shown? Can we see there in, uh, in these verses that as he goes into the sanctuary and he's told to dig into the wall, he digs in the wall and there's a door. And he opens the door and what does he see inside in verse 10? It says, So I went in and saw, and there every sort of creeping thing, a bottle of beast, and all the idols of the house of Israel, portrayed all around the walls. And there stood before them seventy men of the elders of the house of Israel. And in their midst stood Jezaniah, the son of Shaphan. Now, again, we need to again define these things. Who is this Jezaniah? Again, who is this man who is evidently leading uh, these uh, wicked events within uh, the house of God? Now, Jezaniah would have been a priest of Israel. Now, now think about that for a moment. What does this this say about Jezaniah? First of all, that he is a priest. And what are priests supposed to do? Are priests supposed to lead false worship in the temple of God? Are are, are priests uh, supposed to offer up strange fire to idols in the house of the Lord? Of course not. Priests have been given a a special job in the Old Covenant. Again, priests are supposed to be those men who have been called by the Lord God to bring the prayers of the people unto the Lord God. But not only are they bringing these prayers unto false idols... But they're doing it in the very house that God has consecrated to be His. And so, Jazaniah, not only being a priest, but what do you think happened to Jazaniah when he was eight days old? What happened to all Jewish boys when they were eight years old? And he was circumcised. He was set apart from the world, the nations that surrounded him, as one who had been placed upon him the promises of of the covenant. The promises that have been made by the Lord our God. Now, how did Jezaniah go from being a good little Jewish boy who had circumcision to now a man who is a priest in the house of God offering up false worship to false idols who were neither able to speak nor able to hear these prayers? Now, what, what, how do we get from point A to point B? And the the way that Jazaniah and other false prophets and other false priests and those who are following these false prophets and false priests get to this point is because of exactly what question 167 says. They have not been improving upon their baptism. They've not been improving upon their circumcision in, in this case. Now, think about that for a moment. Well, what what have they not been doing? 
How have they not been improving upon this sign that has been placed upon them? Well, again, think about the obvious things. What does the first commandment say? Right? Yeah, you shall have no other gods before me. What, what, what is Jazaniah explicitly breaking in, in this commandment, in this act? Right? He is having other gods before the Lord. And what does the second commandment say? You shall not make any graven images, either of the things of the earth or the things above, right? Or of the Godhead. And, and, and what has Jazaniah done? He's made idols and put them in the temple you know, of creeping things and abominable beasts. As you go through each of the commandments, again, we see in explicit detail how it is that Jazaniah has broken these commandments. Again, that's that's how he's gotten to this point. Again, he may have learned these things when he was a little boy. I'm sure he had memorized large portions of the Old Testament. But again, what good was that knowledge unto him at this moment in his life? It It was worthless to him. And why is that? Because, again, he did not improve upon the sign that had been placed upon him. Again, he did not understand the sign that had been placed upon him. Again, we, we see these things, of course, in, in our own day. Again, how many of us know uh, men and women who have had the sign of baptism placed upon them? Whether when they were, were, were little children or when they were adults. But either soon after or later in life, apostatized from the faith. And what's almost always at the center of that apostasy? Again, it's the breaking of that first commandment. Again, they have placed some kind of idol before the Lord our God. And how did they get to that point? Because again, they didn't understand the nature of that baptism and the calling that is placed upon believers to grow in our knowledge of God. Again, it's not just that mental knowledge that we mean. Really, That's not, it's really not what we mean at all by that. What we mean by that is growing and understanding what God has done for us. What God has done in the forgiveness of sins. What God has done in bringing us out of death and unto the life that we have in the Lord Jesus. Because again, that's what always troubled Israel. That's what always moved Israel into apostasy. Whether it was in the northern kingdom or in the southern kingdom. It was always forgetting what God had done for them. Again, that's one of the reasons why it's so important when we do read the Ten Commandments that we don't forget the preface to the Ten Commandments. Again, as we think about uh, the preface to the Ten Commandments, as we think about how God, again, opens these things, again, how does the Ten Commandments begin? Again, Deuteronomy chapter 5, as Moses is preparing the people to go into the land, he says, Hear, O Israel! The statutes and judgments which I speak in your hearing today, that you may, be, may learn them and be careful to observe them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, those who are here today, all of us who are alive. Again, as he continues this in verse 6, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And what is the foundation of these Ten Commandments? It's what God has done for the people. It's God who brought them out of bondage to slavery in Egypt. It's God who brought them out of the darkness of the land to which they had been held. And we're bringing them into the land of promise that He was establishing for them. 
And again, when we think about uh, the, the, the victories that were won in the early days of the book of Joshua, there's a reason why the book of Joshua ends in the way that it does in chapter 24, where we see that covenant uh, made there. And what does Joshua say? Of course, we, 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 you know, it's one of these verses that we see and hear a lot. And what does Joshua say there? He says, as for me and my house, what will we do? And we will serve the Lord, right? We will worship the Lord. We will be the Lord's people. Again, choose this day whom you will serve. And where does Joshua lay the foundation of his covenant? He lays it in what God has done for him. And he never forgets how it is that he has come to this point in his life. And brothers and sisters, that's... That that has to be the foundation of our faith in the Lord our God. Again, we have to remember what it was like to live without Jesus. Again, not that we might kind of dwell in uh, the wickedness and think back to how much fun it was to be a sinner. We, We have a tendency to do that sometimes, right? To romanticize what life was like without Christ. And that's one of the dangers, of course, when we do that, is we do exactly what the Apostle Paul warns of the people at Ephesus, that they not go back to their former manner of life. Again, that that language there is key for what we see here in the book of Ezekiel. Again, what have these people done? They've abandoned the glory that is the God of heaven, and they have gone back to their former manner of life. They've gone back to being pagans to worshiping things made with the, hand, with the hands of men. You know, as I said, you know, we, we see after, the, after the Jazaniah, the son of Shaphan, we see that the women, uh, what are they doing? They're weeping for Tammuz. Now, Tammuz is one of these many gods that we hear of in the Old Testament who are a god of, 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 uh, uh, of, uh, of, of childbirth. You know, a, a God who uh, would guarantee fruitfulness of the womb. You know, uh, the actual God here is most likely Adonis, who we understand to be you know, a God of Greece. And uh, they're praying that God would grant fertility unto them. They're weeping that this statue would give them what they desire. Again, that's the nature of, uh, of paganism. That's the nature of unbelief. Again, hoping into the darkness for something that cannot provide what we need. Again, there's no way that this false god can provide fertility for these women who are spending their their, their precious moments of life weeping unto a piece of stone. And of course, we look at that and in our minds we say, boy, that's silly. That's crazy. Who would do things like that? Again, as we, we think about improving our baptisms, we think about growing in our faith, growing in our likeness to Christ. Again, we need to be honest with ourselves. Because notice something that is said in the midst of all these things. Again, they think, what? Yeah. For they say, the Lord does not see us, the Lord has forsaken the land. Yeah. Now, has the Lord forsaken the land? In a sense, He has. Why? Because He has moved His people into bondage. Moved His people into Babylon. Now why has God forsaken the land? And they don't don't understand these things, right? They they, they don't see the reality. Again, God is disciplining His people for their wickedness. Again, He is taking away the presence of Himself so that they might what? 
That they might see again the absence of the Lord and, and long to be with Him. And that's, that's one of the things that's said at the end of this passage. Again, that the judgment of God is coming down upon them for their evil, for their idolatry. But of course, as they say there, the Lord does not see us. Again, that's a, a reality that most of us deal with from day to day. Right? We, we tell ourselves that. You know, if our spouse can't see us, then, then it doesn't matter if it's going on or not. If, if our mom or our dad can't see us, then, <clears throat> then nobody knows about these things. But again, this is part and parcel of this reminder of our relationship with our God above. Not only does God see us, God knows about what we do in our private times. And why is it that we think we can get away with these things? Because we forget that God is present. Because notice again, the most serious abomination again, as we come to a close this morning. Again, it's these men who have their back to the temple. They have their back to the temple because God's in the temple. He's not with me. Right? If I have my back to God, uh, then I will forget about Him. Because I'm not seeing Him. I'm not paying attention to Him. I'm not looking at Him. Of course, the Lord sees all. And the Lord knows all. And brothers and sisters, as we again you know, think about the nature of our own hearts, and as we think about the nature of our own minds and our own souls, and we need to, 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 to learn from the examples uh, of those who have come before we need to learn uh, that we are no different uh, than Jazaniah and these others. If we forget what has been done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we forget that we have been forgiven of our sins. If we take for granted the sign of the covenant that's placed upon us. Again, none of us are getting into heaven because we were baptized. None of us are getting into heaven uh, because a minister put water on us. And that's not a necessary requirement of salvation. Of course, we know that the, the man on the cross next to the Lord Jesus didn't have time to get off the cross and get water put on. Right? How was he saved? He was saved by his faith in the Lord our God. He was saved by recognizing, remember his words there? I deserve to be here. Right? He doesn't deserve to be here. He's done nothing wrong. Again, we deserve to be here, fellow uh, thief. We have broken the law of God. We deserve the judgment that's coming down upon us. Again, that's true for each one of us. Again, we deserve the judgment of God for our sins. But what's taken place for us is that the Lord Jesus has come in our stead. He is our substitute. Again, He has paid the penalty, the wrath of God for our transgressions. And we have to keep that in mind as we consider whether to sin or to be obedient to the Lord our God. And we need to understand whether or not we take seriously what the Lord Jesus has done for us. Because again, this is what enables us to grow in grace, to grow in our baptism, to grow in our understanding of who we are in Christ Jesus. That we belong not to ourselves, we belong body and soul to the Lord our God. So brothers and sisters, as we go from this place today, again, as we think upon these things, and let us again never forget the salvation that we have received in Christ. And let us use that salvation as a constant reminder 
To be obedient to the Word of God. To love the Word of God. To use the opportunities God gives us to grow in this truth. Again, not that we might get a better mansion or or, or get a better place to live in heaven. But that we might be blessed even in our own days, even on this earth, by the presence of God and by our love for our gracious Heavenly Father. Amen. Let us pray.